We're glad you're here. You made it through the snow, the ice, the sleet, and you got here. And uh, we're, we're glad you're with us. We also so welcome, and we also welcome a lot of people tuning in online. Uh, may, uh, that's, that we can tell because we can see the numbers on that, that that's a lot more people today than normal, which means there's probably a lot less people here. Uh, but we have a good crowd here, so it's great to see you. And some of you that are there, I know maybe you have physical limitations or whatever and you can't always get out. Some of you out there, you just need a little more adventure in your life. You know, come on over, experience life, have fun, be here, check it out, take a risk. But uh, we, we are second week in our new series called What God Reveals About Himself. It's actually a series on, on doctrine. Last Sunday, Tim talked about God is, and, that, and about the doctrine of the Trinity. And this is how we, this, God reveals himself, it's how we know God. And it's, it's through series like this that we recognize, in, in just reading the Bible, that the God we worship has revealed himself, and he's done that in a general way, we'll talk about that today, and a specific way, uh, like we talked about last week. And he has revealed himself, and so when people say, hey, all religions are sort of worshiping the same God in, in different ways, that's completely wrong. For example, last week, Tim talked, God reveals himself in Trinity. God of the Bible is not the same God that Muslims wor worship as Allah, who's not Trinitarian. It, it's, it's a whole different deal, and you just got to know that. This week, uh, we're talking about God makes, and that's the doctrine of creation, and what I want us to see there, basically, we're, we're just going to look at three quick things. First of all, what the Bible says about creation. Secondly, what creation says about God. And then what all that says to us. So are we ready for this? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Some of you are awake because you had to fight the elements to get here. So we're ready. I'm going to actually read from Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to read a little more than I normally read. I'm going to actually read the whole chapter. So get comfortable, get ready. Uh, you can grab a Bible if you want on the chair rack in front of you. Easy to find. The first page, Genesis chapter 1. Here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening, and there was morning one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning a second day. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, Plants yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them, and it was so. 
And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, a third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heaven to separate the day from the night. And let, it, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heaven to give light on the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. And he made the stars also. And God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning a fourth day. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth and in the open expanse of the heavens. And God created great sea monsters and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning a fifth day. Then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind, and it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of the earth, and every tree which has its and every every tree which has fruit yielding seed, and it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So that's what the Bible says about creation. And of course, we know there's creation and everything's good, but we know two chapters later in the story of mankind that uh, along with God creating us, giving us free will, we misuse that gift to sin. And then so creation is very good, but Sin comes into the world through people and kind of messes everything up. But creation, everything that we see, everything that is, is from the mind and the mouth of God. And it was a joyous thing. We're kind of reminded of that when, when God sort of dresses down Job. If you remember what he says uh, to him, and I think it's in Job 38, he says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And all the angels shouted for joy. I mean, the creation was a joyous time. 
Angels are spectators at creation and they're shouting for joy. It'd be like us maybe seeing our first fireworks display where we're just, whoa, wow, ooh, cool. You know, that's kind of the picture we get that, that God did something amazing. It was joyous, it was celebrated. And, uh, well, if that's what the Bible says about creation, well, what we need to consider next is what creation says about God. The psalmist in, in Psalm 19, verses 1 and 2 says, The heavens are telling of the glory of God, and their expanse is declaring the work of His hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. What's he saying? Hey, everything that God's created, everything that we see, we get a glimpse of the glory of God through creation. Creation is declaring God's glory to us. Creation tells us a lot about God, and, and I want to go through some of those things. But before I get to that, I feel like I need to address science. Because we'll have people in here that, that believe that the Bible and science conflict. And I just want to keep people from doing the very uninformed thing after the service, which is to say something like, well, hasn't science proven that God didn't create the world, which is wrong? And why is that an uninformed thing to say? Well, because here's what science is. Science is the observation of, of data. So we have data. You'll have a theory. And you'll want to test your theory. So you'll test it. You'll observe. And then you keep all the data that you find out about it. And if the data doesn't match the theory, then you adjust the theory. You eject that theory and you come up with a better theory that seems to match the data that you find. But sometimes something else happens. Sometimes scientists hold on to a theory so strongly that even when the data shows that that theory isn't correct, instead of adjusting the theory, they keep looking for more data and they just ignore the data that doesn't line up with their theory. Well, why do they do that? Well, there's a reason for that. And that is because every time a scientist interprets data, which is what science is, just cataloging, observing data. Every time a scientist does that, he does that through a philosophy. And there's two philosophies. Since the time of Darwin, the philosophy that's dominated the scientific world is called naturalism. Naturalism states that nothing outside of what we can experience with our five senses exists. So nothing exists beyond nature. Nature is all that there is. Anything outside of nature is impossible. That's naturalism. So when you start looking at the data and you have this narrow scientific philosophy of naturalism, then when things seem to point to things outside of nature, you have to ignore that because your philosophy says that can't exist. But that philosophy is too narrow for the evidence that science has discovered. 
And so, there, and there's only two philosophies. So the other philosophy is naturalism plus. Naturalism, which is just one way to call it. But naturalism plus says, sure, we gather data, we look and analyze the data, and we're looking for naturalistic explanations. But if the evidence that we find does not fit any naturalistic explanation, Naturalism Plus is broad enough to say, well, then, secondarily, it could be something else. And it's broad enough minded to say there may be something at work outside of nature. Naturalism doesn't allow for that possibility. Naturalism Plus does allow for that possibility. Does that make sense? So every scientist, before they look at the data... They approach the data with a pre-existing philosophy, which is either naturalism, it can only be nature and there's no other possibility, or naturalism plus. We're looking for natural explanations, but if, they, if that is not the best fit for the theory or for the evidence that we see, then we will at least open our mind to it could be something outside of nature. That's the difference. So the divide is not between faith and science, it's not. The divide is between science and the philosophical system that you're using to interpret the data. It's a philosophical divide, not faith and science. Nothing in science disproves what I just read in Genesis 1. It's only things that are data that is interpreted with a strictly naturalistic explanation. Well, so the next question is, well, okay, Kevin, what is the data that, that you're, you're saying? Is there any data to support naturalism plus over naturalism? There is. There's tons of data to support that you should come with the philosophy of naturalism plus and not just naturalism. So what is that? Well, first of all, there's complexity in nature. You see, back in the day, science thought that a single cell, for example, was amazingly simple. That just had, you know, a dozen parts to it, a very simplistic thing. Now, science knows that's not the case. As a matter of fact, smaller than a single cell, one strand of a DNA molecule has enough information that would fill 1,000 uh, books of encyclopedias, 1,000 pages. So 1,000 page books, it'd take 1,000 1,000 page books of, say, an encyclopedia. By the way, for you young people, encyclopedias were these big sets of books that before we had computers, we looked up to find. Anyway, yeah, so just had a lot of information. And so let's say that this, and actually the stack would be much higher than this, every sentence and every letter has to be in the exact correct sequence for this DNA molecule, smaller than a living cell, to work. That, that's what we're saying. And, and the question, what we're saying is, 
the complexity we see in nature is way more complex than we ever thought. The question is, where is all this information in the exact right order coming from? Now, we'll talk about things in science like cloning and this and that, the other thing. And so we understand that, say you have a DNA molecule, we understand that sometimes through a very rarely, some of the information is missing. And what happens? That DNA molecule can't live. Or sometimes the information that's here gets scrambled. And then we have, and then usually the DNA molecule can't live, but sometimes then we'll have a mutation. A mutation is the scrambling of the information that's already there. No new information. That's where you have a calf and it has five legs. Very rare, but it happens. But the fifth leg never helps the organism. The, the scrambling is never productive. It's always destructive. For example, a calf with four legs can run faster than a calf with five legs. The fifth leg is a hindrance. Or the fruit fly. Science makes a big, big deal about, you know, they can make fruit flies now. They can genetically scramble it intentionally and come up with a fruit fly with four wings. But a fruit fly with four wings cannot fly near as well as a fruit fly with two wings. Every time you scramble the information, it harms or kills the organism. Now here's what science is built on. The whole simple to complex is this. Okay, so you start with a simple organism. Your first organism. Here, here's the problem with that. Where, and, and you get to this. Where did all that information come from? Encyclopedias full of information, a million pieces of information. Where did that information come? If there's nothing else around, where did it come from? Way more complex. This argument points that we should be interpreting scientific data with a naturalism plus philosophy. Not just naturalism that goes, well, it just invents itself somehow. Makes no sense. Big Bang Theory. I don't know if you follow all this, but it used to be Big Bang that was like not the Big Bang, and now we're back to the Big Bang, and we're back to the Big Bang because we know, we've, science has proven astrophysics that the universe is expanding. Well, if, you, if the universe is expanding, if you reverse that, that means it used to be smaller, 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 and now you've come to a point in time where the Big Bang Theory says there was a moment when time, energy, and matter came into being. That there was nothing before that, and then there was something in the physical universe. Wow, that sounds a lot like what I just read out of Genesis chapter 1. We would say, yeah, that, that's what, that's what the, the data says. That's what we would say. But science, scientists with a naturalistic philosophy that's filtering all their interpretation of data, they don't see that. That there's a cause or causer. Second law of thermodynamics, that basically everything is winding down. Well, if everything's winding down, that leads us to the question, who wound it up? How did we get started? How did all that happen? How did something come from nothing? All that kind of thing. And then there's irreducible complexity, one of my favorites. 
you know, which is just basically saying irreducibly complex means that organisms and even parts of organism, it can't evolve. The best example of that is a mousetrap. Again, we used to think a single cell was just, you know, had a dozen working parts. It turns out that a strand of DNA is, is just a piece of a single cell with millions of pieces of information. So we don't know of anything that this, that's this simple. A mousetrap has five working parts. Five, just five parts. We don't know of anything in nature that has only five parts. But let's just take this. Let's just say if it was just five parts. Okay, well, what do you have, what do you have here? You have a base, one part. You have a hammer or a striker, two parts. You have a spring, three parts. You have the, the rod that holds it, that holds the, the striker, four parts. And then you have the catch where the rod fits in, and that's where the bait goes, and that's what you're looking to move. Now, here's what I'm saying. If one of these parts is missing, this doesn't work at all. It's not that it doesn't work as good. If one of the five parts are gone, it doesn't work at all. And there would be no reason for this organism to keep living. It couldn't live. It couldn't function. It couldn't do what it needs to do in order to develop the other things. Five parts. Impossible for that to evolve. Well, then you start looking at, at things in our own body. You start looking at things like, like your, your own eyeball. For an eye to evolve, an eye has around a million parts for it to function at all, to even perceive light. You see what we're saying here? This did not evolve. Even Darwin has a quote about the eye, if I can find it. He says, uh, where is that? Darwin, the father of evolution, here's what he says. To suppose that the eye could have been formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd. Well, it is. By the way, they didn't know half of the complexity of the eye that we know today. You see, half an eye doesn't help you. 5% of an eye doesn't help you. 95% of an eye doesn't help you. So there's no way that this gets passed on, passed on. Even if it did, you still have this huge problem to say, okay, for the other half of the eye, where's the information coming from? Where are you getting that? Same thing. Our heart. We know our heart's a muscle. It has chambers. It beats. It, it, it pumps. It needs... The point is, if any of those things are missing, the heart doesn't work at all. It's not advantageous to have half a heart. If you don't have chambers in your heart, it doesn't work. If you don't, if you don't have a muscle in your heart, it doesn't work. If you don't have a circulatory system, it doesn't work. If you don't have blood, it doesn't work. If you don't have capillaries, it doesn't. You see, all of that has to appear at the same time. Because if any of those pieces are missing, it's not advantageous. Does that make sense? See, that's the problem with evolution. Now, and please understand me. Two different, you know, sometimes I feel like I have to say this. Two different types of evolution, microevolution, macroevolution. Microevolution is just breeding, selective breeding. A wolf with thick hair. You know, if there's any DNA for wolves with 
thin hair, short hair, well then if they're up in Alaska, they die out. We, we get that. We can do that. We can do that ourselves just by breeding dogs or anything else. We get that traits are past. We, everybody believes in microevolution, if you want to call it that. What we're saying is macroevolution. You see, breeding dogs is just taking this information and then trying to, uh, as things are dominant, trying to get those, you're passing on those traits. The information's all there. You're just restricting the information. And, and you breed dogs to restrict it further and further. And the more, uh, the longer the line, the, the more sure you're going to get the dog you're trying to breed, that you're breeding together, you know? We get that. Information's already there. But for a dog to become a cat, all of a sudden you have the dog's DNA and somewhere you got to put in a cat's DNA. It doesn't work. Or for a cow to sprout wings, that will never happen. It's not in there. Right? That's what we're saying. That doesn't happen. Irreducible complexity and just the problems with the evolutionary theory. And then, of course, the evolutionary theory has no explanation for life. Life. Life itself. It doesn't happen by accident. That makes no sense. Remember, for life to happen, intelligence had to be involved. And here's how I, I can illustrate that. We can assemble the brightest scientists in the world and put them in the most advanced laboratory we have, and they cannot create life. They cannot create a seed that will sprout with life. Do we get that? I mean, we talk about cloning and all this stuff. What we're taking is we're taking life that already exists, and we're messing with it and manipulating it. But if you said, no, you can't start with life, you've got to start with non-life, they can't create a seed. All the intelligence in the world. But we think, naturalistic scientists think, oh, that just happened. Not did, did it just happen. It happened over and over and over again. Why, why would they believe something that, that seems so crazy? Because of their philosophy before they get to science. Has to be a naturalistic explanation is what they would say. So here's what I'm saying. When you look at all the evidence, first of all, it points us to a naturalism plus philosophy. Because the weight of the evidence is showing us that there has to be something outside of a naturalistic explanation for what we observe and see in scientific data. The accumulative weight of the evidence becomes convincing. The theory that there is a God who made the world accounts for the evidence that we see better than the theory that there is no God that made the world. Does that make sense? Wow. that was a, Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? Yes. The theory there is a God. All right. All right. So now what does creation tell us about God? It tells us that 
There's only one God. It tells us that he's eternally uncaused. Creation tells us that God is Trinitarian. This is all just from the first chapter. Let us create man in our image, Trinitarian in nature. God is the source of life, that life comes from God. There's a man named Francis Crick. He is the co-discoverer of the DNA molecule that is smaller than a single cell. He helped discover that. Francis Crick was so committed to a naturalistic philosophy interpreting scientific data. And as he was trying to figure out where life came from, he developed a theory. It's called panspermia. Panspermia, this is a Nobel Prize winner, Francis Crick. He comes up with a theory, panspermia, that says life didn't start here on earth. It was seeded on earth from somewhere else in the universe by aliens, extraterrestrials. This is a Nobel Prize winning scientist, the co-discoverer, and he did a great job with that, of the DNA molecule, the double helix. Why would this man resort to a theory to say, oh, life, life is so problematic, it must have come here from outer space and somebody intentionally, intelligently seeded our planet? Why would he come out with, with something so outrageous? Because of his naturalistic philosophy before he starts looking at the data. By, by the way, you get that doesn't solve the problem, right? Oh, somebody was alive, something was alive and brought life to us. That just backs it up a notch. But that's his explanation, Nobel Prize winner. Because he has the wrong philosophy. And he's been blinded by that philosophy. God, we also know God's independent from creation. The only truly independent being. He's personal. He speaks. He's powerful. He can create. He's holy, perfect. He's gracious. It's all good. That's what we know about God from creation. Well, if that's what creation says about God... And before that, we talked about what the Bible says about creation. And now, well, what does it all say to us? What's it say to us? Well, first of all, I want to talk about three things it does not to say to us, three mistakes that people make. The first mistake people make is they look at all the evidence, kind of like the naturalistic philosophical lens, and they say, well, creation created itself. Nature created nature. That's the explanation from naturalistic scientists. Nature made nature. Now, we don't say that about anything else. There's nothing else in the universe that we say, well, that just came from nothing and it made itself with no intelligence. That's not how we operate in the world. We don't talk like that about anything. But that's the explanation. Well, creation, uh, nature, nature just made itself from nothing. 
The second thing, the second mistake is, you know, because that, he said, because there can't be a God. Naturalistic philosophy. There can't be a God, so nature just made itself. Then the second mistake is, everything is God. So God is everything. And you hear this more and more, and you'll be, you know, you can watch your favorite talk show host, and somebody's talking about some beauty or something like that, and they'll say, oh, isn't that beautiful? You know, and then they'll say, yeah, that's so beautiful. That, it's not that God allowed that to happen. That is God. No. God is separate from creation, we know from Genesis chapter 1. God is not everything. If God was everything, then, which is a pantheistic, then that would mean that God is evil. God is cancer. God is bad things. Well, God isn't. He's separate from creation. So don't go to pantheism. Don't go to nature created itself. Don't go to pantheism. And then the third mistake is deism. And that's simply, and a lot of people start falling back because of the weight of the evidence. Even scientists now are starting to fall back to this position to say, okay, there's some uncaused causer that people refer to as God, and he sort of got the ball rolling. He sort of wound up the clock. He, he, got, he created the first things, and then he let it go, and he walked away. And now it's running down, second law of thermodynamics. And so he just left it. To see what happened. And you know what? When we read Genesis 1, 2, and then chapter 3, we would expect that maybe God would consider that. I mean, he made us. He made us in his image. He gave us free choice. And we rebelled and sinned against him, brought sin into the universe, messed everything up. And it could be that he walked away. But the whole Bible, his whole revelation is a story from Genesis in the Old Testament to Revelation in the New Testament. The total unfolding drama of God's redemption of mankind and his redemption of the world. He doesn't walk away. He stays involved. He sends his one and only son into our world to make a way to redeem us. To, to allow us to, to be able to respond to him, which is a gift in itself. Okay, if that's how, that's what not the conclusion we should come up with, what's the conclusion? What does it say to us, all this? Well, first of all, we're reminded that we're created in the image of God. By the way, us being created in the image of God is the basis of all human rights and all civil rights. You see, atheists, they have it wrong when they say there is no God, but they insist on human rights. That's inconsistent. Because if there is no God, if we're just an accidental collection of molecules and somehow you know, gain consciousness, then the only law is survival of the fittest. And that's all that matters. Who passes their genes? That's the law. And there is no right and wrong, and there is no morality, and there is no meaning and no purpose in life. It's just an accident. You know, that's how nature is. An anteater doesn't walk along and come to a huge colony of 50,000 ants and go to town on it. And we don't, we don't look at that and go, genocide! 50,000 ants! Nobody does that. 
but all of us, atheists and Christians alike. When ISIS blows up a mall or, or some dictator starts killing a segment of his people, we say, that's genocide, that's an atrocity, that's wrong. Well, where, where'd that come from? It came from God putting his image in us. We're made in the image of God. Imago Dei. We're created he, in his likeness. He's given us something that, that helps us to see and understand and put it together. And, and we see that even in our own Declaration of Independence. By the way, our country founded primarily by Christian men. Here's what it says. We, we hold these truths to be self-evident. We hold these truths to be self that you can just see them. They're just there. They're obvious. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Well, where did they get that? Well, it tells you that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. You see, that's, that's what all morality, all human rights all civil rights are based on God as our creator and giving us all dignity and worth. Not that we earned it, not that we're smarter, not that we're richer. God gives us all the same worth because that's the way he created us. Our founding fathers knew that and based our country on that. We also know that God's revealed his existence through what's been made. And when people deny that, it's not just that they're missing something. God says that they will be judged for that when they are ruling out any beyond nature or supernatural explanation for anything. When, when they say God can't exist, and we're reminded that of Romans 1. Here, here's what Paul says in verse 20. For since the creation of the world, his divine attributes, I'm sorry, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. What being seen? Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. That sums up the naturalistic philosophy that causes people to interpret scientific data in a, in, unlike we would interpret anything else. And then one last thing, since we know God exists, what's this all say to us? Well, since we know God exists through the general revelation he's given us, follow the logic. If God's made us and through creation we know, wow, he is smart and he is powerful and he is good, because look at it. It, it, it is good. If he did all that, 
And then he revealed, he's saying, because I've done all this and it's all around you, you should know that God exists. That's, that's not enough to have a relationship with God, but just to know he exists, you should seek him. But then, because he made us rational beings who could contemplate God, he made us this way, then we would logically expect that God would reveal himself further in a specific way so that we could actually know him. And he's actually done that through his word and through his son, Jesus Christ, who came as part of God's plan to make the world right again. And we're still in the middle of that process. But each one of us now has an opportunity to turn to Christ and put our trust in him. And he will help us to do that. And it would come into our life and change us forever. Here's, here's what I'm saying. The next time that you're sitting on your porch or your deck and you see that sunset or sunrise, the next time that you get a glimpse of the unspoiled beauty of nature, and, and it sort of it strikes your soul. Do you know what I'm talking about? Just those that sometimes happens. Just know there, there's no accident there. God made that so that you could get a glimpse of his glory. You personally in that moment so that you would turn to him, thank him, seek him. It's no accident. God has revealed himself and we see his glory in creation all around us. Stand for prayer. Father God in heaven, we, we thank you for who you are and we thank you for creation and creating us. And Lord, giving us uh, amazing gifts that we can think and process and, and, and choose to do right and wrong, Lord, but also recognizing in that gift that we've all been corrupted, that we're totally messed up in our sin, that you've made a way for us to be forgiven. God, we thank you for that. And for those of us who are believers, Lord, help us to just reaffirm these things that we know and help us to be able to communicate them to others to help them to see you. Father, for those who aren't believers, we pray that you would draw them to yourself right now. Or that you would be continually drawing them, revealing yourself, drawing them. Or that they would cross the line of faith, have a relationship with you forever that you're freely offering through no merit in us. God, we pray that would happen through grace. And it does happen through grace, but also through grace community right here our church family. God, thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. If any of you want some follow-up or maybe this first time you've heard this stuff, pastors are in room one right over there. We'd be happy to talk with you, clear anything up, or, or just have a discussion. Otherwise, have a great day. Enjoy the weather. Okay? Have fun. You're dismissed.